Hello and welcome to Friendly Anarchism. You are listening to KEPW LPFM 97.3. Welcome back. All right, so. Welcome back. I am your co-host, Catherine. And I'm your co-host, Cimarron. And we are so happy to have you here with us today, and a happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. So, uh, before we start, we have a little jingle for you, Get Us in the Mood, a real fun song by our good friend, Woody Guthrie. All right. Show these fascists what a couple of hillbillies can do. So that was super fun. One of my favorite things ever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, again, happy Mother's Day um, to however it is, whatever that is that means to you. Um, we're glad you're here with us. And we are going to be talking about violence and nonviolence. We're doing the thing. We're doing the thing. <laughs> and this is an appropriate weekend to be doing it uh, because Mother's Day... Um, began originally as a critique of war and militarism, wanting both to be a day of service to uh, for mothers in more privileged positions, helping people who are in less privileged positions, um, helping people out, and also acknowledging uh, the tremendous and terrible wars that have been happening in Europe, uh, both um, in following the United States Civil War and um, uh, the Franco-Prussian War. Um, and so it's important that we think about um, and talk about uh, violence in our lives on a day, um, uh, on a day uh, that was originally intended to think about uh, think about violence. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, the question always is: so you're Quakers and anarchists. So how exactly is that a thing? If Quakers are nonviolent and anarchists believe in sort of that's this diversity of tactics that includes violence, right? So um, we've been doing a lot of thinking about it and a lot of research about it and a lot of thought about it. And sort of the first thing I want to say about it is the more that I research and the more that I read, the more for me, it's so, so perfect that this is on Mother's Day because the more that I delve into this topic, the more it keeps coming back down to intersectional feminism for me just over and over again, intersectional feminism. Um, I'm, yeah, so I'm reading, and I'm just sort of starting with all the quote-unquote heavy hitters when it comes to talking about violence or nonviolence. Who are some of those people? So I've read Gene Sharp, which is, he's known, he's like the father of nonviolence, um, from dictatorship to democracy, a couple of his other things. Uh, Mark and Paul Engler wrote, a really important new book called This is an Uprising, where they talk about uh, the history of nonviolent resistance. I read Peter Gelderloos, How Nonviolence Protects the State. Sean McFessel, uh, Nonviolence Ain't What It Used to Be, Unarmed Insurrection and the Rhetoric of Resistance. Jonathan Matthew Smucker, Roadmap to Hegemony. And um, what is it that all of these (laughs) things have in common? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you. They're pretty much all white, cishet men, intellectuals, 
who are basically middle class. Um, and some of those things may not be totally true, but overall, all of those things apply. <laughs> and um, we sort of, the thing about this debate is that everybody gets sick of debating it. Like it's been rehashed and rehashed and rehashed and everybody gets frustrated and nobody wants to talk about it. And um, if you look at who's dominating the conversation, maybe that's why. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, no, like honestly, it's been emotionally tiring for me to be doing this research because no matter how important the books are and how wonderful the information is, and like, I'm really, really glad that these things are being said and I, I really enjoyed this research in some ways, there is just always, <laughs> like, you can't get away from this sort of like, how dare you question my authority, like, kind of privileged attitude that seems like cishet, white, middle-class men just can't always shake. And you're wonderful, Sins, and I'm not, you know, somebody, <laughs> this is exactly when people jump in the room and say, not all cishet, white, middle-class men, right? <laughs> but honestly, like, honestly, it, this research has been kind of tiring for me because that attitude is just pervasive in pretty much all of these works. And, like, I need to start um, doing a better job of making a point of, like, between reading white men, like, making sure I'm going back and, like, reading a black woman, like, reading somebody, something written by a trans woman or something, just to, like, keep myself emotionally steady and sane, because those voices have a different take and, like, have a different attitude that I find incredibly refreshing. So, like, when we're talking about violence, nonviolence, what needs to happen is having more intersection, more intersectional feminism all the time. And that's one of the things that I love about anarchism, is that anarchism is deeply rooted in intersectional feminism. It's always there, it's always coming up. Like anarchism is like closely connected to black feminism, it's closely, closely connected to trans rights. You know, it's, um, it's been part of feminism forever, basically. Um, no, I didn't write it, but like from the very beginning, Mary Wollstonecraft's husband, uh, William Godwin, was like one of the fathers of anarchism. And Mary Wollstonecraft, is one of the father, well, one of the mothers of feminism. So like this goes all the way back, and um, I just wish I had more from these other perspectives to bring to this debate. Um, and I need to, I'm going to start doing that. And it's like these voices are more buried, you know. Like if I, if I just said like I want to get all of the, um, get all the like top information, and it turned out without me really even thinking about it to be all of these white men. Um, and now I'm like thinking it's like oh ninety six. It's like it sucks. So you have to like dig a little deeper mm -hmm. to get these other voices, and it's really important that I go on a personal level go do that. Um, and you know, so, and it's like who is regarded as like an authority in our societies often to do often has to do with privilege. Who are. Uh, who has access to whiteness, who has access to white spaces, um, and to have the, you know, the time and energy to write books, to engage in these things. And I'm not saying people shouldn't, it's, it is important to engage in intellectual pursuits, but, um, that whiteness can't be the, the center of all discussions, yeah. especially when, um, the way our, uh, our society revolves around violence and how, um, how you were sort of alluding to this, how, how gendered it is, how raced it is, how much um, violence is applied in different ways to different people. Um, and we see that in all sorts of different metrics, both in terms of like how uh, police as like actors with violence um, engage with um, arrests and prisons um, and um, uh, like Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow points out that 70% of the U.S. prison population um, is people of color. Um, and so it, it's, it's, I like to bring this up because I think it's, it's dangerous to like go into um, and talk about and have a discussion about violence um, without thinking about the ways that it, it affects different communities. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I really enjoy coming at this debate from an anarchist perspective because anarchist literature is much more likely to engage in discussions of racism and these binaries and sort of all of these um, different voices that should be heard. So like even if the people at the top of this debate that I mentioned, like they are in fact more likely to have even talked to like different people of color and different. And then also um, 
the the issues being brought up like at least that part, it, at least in anarchist theory that's part of the conversation so like I really I really really enjoy that and I wish that this literature was more well known to people that are not anarchists because I think this book Nonviolence Ain't What it Used to Be by Sean McFessel is incredibly an important document like the the thing I learned a lot from this I learned a lot from this it did take me a minute though to be able to like get past the tone of it the tone of the book like the way that the attitude that it was written from that I think was definitely um what would you say is like the dominant thesis the, oh the well I mean it I haven't read the book. Thing. oh the dominant thesis is that um violence is more complicated it talks a lot more about structural violence and like self-liberation mm. and using violence like you know quote-unquote violence as smashing windows and stuff is like an act of self-empowerment mm. and those kinds of things I, I think it's a great book and there's a lot more to it than that I mean that that does bring us up to the next problem though is semantics like the other thing that's happening <laughs> is like you're trying so the first thing is who's doing who's in the debate and then the second part is like every time it seems like you try and talk about this you just get caught up on semantics every time like the first thing you have to do is if you're talking about nonviolence versus violence you have to define violence and then that's you don't get past that <laughs> <laughs> you know like have you have you have you dealt with that yeah i mean i've done a lot of research into think about like what is um what is violence and what does that mean in in the united states um and it's it's absolutely true there's there's this like there's a couple things going on one of which is the like cult of militarism around like um well you know there's what the military does as violence and then there's what civilians do and um and so we we separate things in all kinds of different ways, you know, and like, what is it appropriate, you know, what is appropriate violence in different contexts? Um, you know, and, and really recently with black lives matter, the discussion about like, what is, what is appropriate protest, you know, are, are riots violent, are riots, are riots appropriate? Is this, is this a tactic? Is this a legitimate tactic? Um, and I think that, um, absolutely. There's so much, you know, built into the semantics of like defending or defining, um, that it often loses, um, that part of the discussion, just like using that as a way of getting away from actually talking about what is the issue here, you know, like why are people protesting? Why are people using or not using violence? Um, and instead, uh, moving away from that to discuss, you know, to discuss the tactics. And, And that's, I think that's always been true. If you look at in the civil rights movement, um, uh, there was a great song um, uh, that it's uh, it's not always easy um, uh, where the singer talks about uh, going into a store and uh, into a segregated shopping store that won't serve um, people of color and like filling the grocery cart and leaving it and being like no like this is your problem like we're engaging in active protest and people would always say oh well you're 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 pushing too far you're pushing too far or um, uh, if a civil rights activist was killed, as, as happened repeatedly, um, people would say, oh, you know, these sort of like a lot of white Christian um, people would say, oh, well, that's too bad that they died. Um, but why are you making such a big deal? Why are you protesting? Why are you doing any, you know, it's like there's no amount of injustice that makes protest okay for some people. And it's like always comes back to the semantic of like what's acceptable, what's appropriate, you know? Right. And then this this conversation over tactics and over just the semantics of nonviolence. if you spend the if you that's a great way to derail the real conversation you know what i mean like because if you're spending all of your time trying to just define what violence is then you don't actually talk about what's actually going on the substance the substance of the problem so you know that that is a real real issue and then the other thing about semantics is violence it, the conversation goes on for so long and so frustrating because violence is just not adequate. The one, having one word for the nuance of what violence means in our culture at this point, mm-hmm. like you're not, you're literally not actually speaking the same language because violence means something different to every single person that you talk to because it goes from it ranges from like seriously just like the violence of smushing a bug or like yeah. eating meat or you know or whatever to like structural yeah. violence yeah. to like you know, punching some like breaking a window or like, like punching somebody or like, you know, yeah, or like emotional violence, emotional Mm -hmm. violence, like hate speech. Like there is so many different things that can be included in our culture, even just like angerness, (laughs) like anything, (laughs) anything that feels angry, 
or intense can yeah. feel violent, you know, like. And there's a and there's a lot of that being tied up. That's, I think that's really harmful to the movement in some ways. In that, um, you know, I think there's a lot of discussion around. Um, for instance, I, I hear this a lot in like the the nonviolence discussion community about how oh well you know we we really have to live our values, which is like that's important. You do want to live your values, but then using that to say oh well um, I don't you know. I don't want to feel any anger. I don't want to ever hear any anger. Why are people of color being so angry in the streets? They they really need to work on themselves. They really need to calm down. <laughs> um, and it's like no, like that's that's, that's a that's a real problem. Um, and Andrew Lord has a whole um, has a whole essay on the uses of rage. That like there are you know we don't want to live our our lives in rage, but I think that it is there are important moments when systemic oppression is happening um, that we do have to recognize that there are places where this is appropriate. When our cultural understanding, uh, like our cultural relationship to violence is really messed up. And that's something that anarchists really try and are trying to point out to people <clears throat> is that how our society understands violence is very, very damaging and screwed up. And so like, that's a conversation that needs to be had that's not really being had. Um, and I really appreciate that. And we need to be just at least having that as part of the discussion. So for instance, like, I've done Krav Maga, and the idea... What's that? What's that? What's Krav Maga? Krav Maga is a type of martial arts that is self-defense. Gotcha. So the idea is... But it's, like, it's it's brutal self-defense. Because the idea being is, like, you end it. Like, you, you make sure that you end it as soon as you can so that it doesn't get prolonged and things don't get worse. You know, so... But but it's, like, as within lots, lots of martial arts, the idea is, like, if you can run away, run away. You know, mm -hmm. if you can get out of the situation first, get out of the situation... Then, if you can't, if you can de-escalate, de-escalate. And if you can't do that, then, like, do, like, long shots. You know, like, long kicks and that kind of thing to, like, get people out of your space. And if you can't do that, if it comes down to the point where you're about to be murdered, like, you put your hand behind somebody's head and you gouge out their eyes. Like... <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so, but, so, so here's the, so here's the, here's the hypothetical situation in which I'm about to get murdered... By somebody. This is uh, this might be an intense conversation. Also. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, actually, the transmitter's down. So, uh, but that's here's the thing. We're talking about nonviolence violence. It's going to be intense. People yeah. should know that, you know, and like understand that. So, but in so in this hypothetical situation, the thing that got shocking, the thing that made you want to like give a warning on the radio, is not my murder. <laughs> it's the maiming of a murderer. You know what I mean? It's like we've become so desensitized to death that, like, it's more shocking to us. And if you think about the implications of that, it's like, that means a Nazi eyeball gets more deference than a vulnerable person's life. I hear that, but also, like, explicit description is, like... That can bring up a I lot mean, of things. I guess explicit description... <laughs> yeah, like, I, I get that. Like, maybe I went a little too far with that. But, but the idea being, though, is that we're so afraid of talking about the realities of what violence is. You know what I mean? Like, what I said, that's a real... That is... You know, like, that is the real world. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? So I, and it, and it is more shot, like, and the point being that it is, like, it is, you know, like, we, I think in this culture it is more acceptable to kill somebody than to maim them. Mm. Like, it's sort of this real ableist undertone. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so um, what what a lot of anarchists, anarchists are talking about in, like, in this nonviolence and, you know, stuff the idea like what is violence like we say violence is force and pain and damage against a person or a live thing like a you know what i mean like a person so if you're smashing windows and burning things it's not violence because it's not against a soul you know or you know or like like it doesn't it's not the same so then what you're do what they're doing you know is kind of like trying to show the dichotomy there of being like look you're getting so upset this is how upset our society gets over a smashed window versus the total lack of empathy for people being shot in the street. Yeah. You know, and so that's the, but the, here's the, here's the problem with that is like the sort of philosophical underpinnings of the message of like property over people, or people over property and property over people issues often is gets lost like it's sometimes it's a message that's hard to contain in a brick you know <laughs> like so so then if the message isn't getting there 
and it's actually sort of not furthering the conversation, then um, it's it's not work. If, if that's just not working, you know what I mean? Like it's that's a problem. It's a problem. So how do you bring up these conversations? You know, how do you how do you get these messages across in a way that will get people to listen to the message? Because if people don't listen to the message, then what's the message for? I mean, the, the other part of this though is saying that the idea is not just the message, but also the idea of self liberation. Mm-hmm. That people who have been so disempowered by a system, like taking that physical action against an against just a window that's an oppressive system that's like breaking a rule against something is like a very empowering experience for people yeah but you know i don't know if there if there's other ways to empower people that doesn't risk you being jailed you know <laughs> you know i mean and i think you know every context is a little bit different there's a there's a zine that came out a couple of years ago called hot lead is medicine um and and it's also um it's it's thesis is basically that like yeah you can be feel this liberation by firing a gun and you know i think that i mean having fired several guns um like i mean i can see how someone might think that but um you know for me like i i feel on some level a sort of like intrinsic sort of like drawback from violence like when i hear violence is happening i I, like i cringe you know it's like something that like i want to pull away from like that's not a society that i desire in which like lots of violence is happening um but also um you know there's the sort of like violence that happens in or around protests um that's one thing um and if all the attention is on that um rather than like talking about what's um what's happened like that can't be a focus without talking about what that came from right and then i mean and that's the other thing is then when there are when there is violence and protest that can also derail the conversation Mm. you know what i mean because and even if it's not fair often uh, a violent act within a protest situation will draw all of the media will negate anything that the message of the main protest was trying to get across Mm -hmm. you know and will even like quell the quell participation like for, from for future for future discussion that are you know these large scale protests that are like supposed to sort of be discussions about these issues you yeah. know what I mean I mean and I think also you know there's uh, I hear every now and again this thing saying well you know the media is going to mis- misrepresent what we say anyways all the time uh, why should we care what they say um, and um, you know it's it's interesting because um, in uh, uh, in Seattle, when there was a uh, Milo Yiannopoulos came to speak, and he's this you know far right um, sort of tool who uh, his <laughs> I mean his like his purpose is to is to make a bridge between uh, what is um, what is the like far right fascism and sort of like more mainstream conservatism um, through talking about like popular media. He really like tried to get people through like Gamersgate and like move them towards the alt-right. He's this like bridge figure, um, who recently lost favor, favor in popular society because it came out that he was, uh, that he like repeatedly and like vociferously Uh. endorsed pedophilia. Um, and, you know, but, like, it wasn't that, like, he was okay with Nazis. It wasn't that he was okay with white yeah. supremacy or this, like, so-called alt-right. Like, that wasn't a problem. It wasn't until he, like, came out as a pedophile, you know, and, like, vociferously, like, on multiple, um, in multiple venues on TV and on radio, um, and those clips were, like, put together that it, that he was, like, finally kind of shut down. But, like... It, but, anyways, you know, like, he was, cleansing wasn't enough. Yeah, like, that's know? not a problem. Um, you know, and uh, at the same time, like, there, so he was speaking at this event in uh, Seattle, and a, a, a anti-fascist protest was happening, um, and one of Milo Yiannopoulos' supporters pulled out a, like, brought a gun to the rally and shot one of the protesters. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first, like, thing the first like news articles I saw um, and like comments were like, Oh, well did the protester deserve it? What was the protester doing? What like this person just got shot. Like, what are you talking about? You know? Well, exactly. But it's like, that's, that's where the media focus is, you know? So like there, there is a real thing that like, even if you're doing, even if you are, you know, ostensibly nonviolent and like not, uh, not harming or not engaging in physical violence, um, and you are harmed, like, the state can still be, like, you know, or popular media and popular narratives can still be like, eh, you know, you're still at fault, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's, 
it's it's but not easy. However, however, it is really what the community at large, what the narrative is, what the dominant narrative is, is really important. Mm-hmm. And like reclaiming that narrative is a large part of the work because the idea of societal change is that society, societal values have changed and that will be reflected in the narratives that we tell ourselves and that we tell each other about these issues. So what people think of us matters. It really does matter. Mm -hmm. You know, like we have to regain control of those narratives. And like right now, um, it, the, the violence and the sort of like outright hostility is really damaging our ability to sort of take back those narratives about us, what anarchism really is, which is about love and cooperation and um, protection and self-defense, you know, of community. Um, Mm -hmm. When I was talking about this with somebody at our meeting this morning, I was describing how anarchists, what what this place comes from is just like really like fierce love and wanting to protect self, like defend and protect vulnerable people. And Mm -hmm. I, I told him this, this is Jim. He's (laughs) he's amazing. Um, and he said, you sound like a lion. He sounds like a lioness, you know, like you sound like a mama bear, you know, like the idea is like it, it, but like a lioness will do what it takes to protect that cub. So will a mama bear. And that, like, intensity is really important. Mm -hmm. And this brings me back to the intersectional feminism and how feminism is so important for this discussion because this is the stuff that feminists talk about is the discussions that we need to be having. Like, when you're talking about violence versus nonviolence, that's a strong binary. And as we know, if we talk to our trans women, you know, or talk to our trans community, they are on the forefront of breaking binaries and like we have to be able to break this binary to have like a constructive conversation about different tactics as opposed to just putting everything trying to just shove everything into this binary of nonviolence versus violence and then if you talk about um like issues of consent and coercion this is one of my problems sort of this is one of my fears and dangers about about sort of this like smashing windows writing types of things is issues of consent with the rest of community. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're talking about Portland, the May Day riot, you know, quote-unquote, riots in Portland, um, there, I feel like there is an issue of consent there when, or when anybody sort of brings up, in, starts smashing windows and stuff at these sort of larger-scale protests, is it can up the ante and cr- escalate a situation, create a higher level of danger without consent of everybody else at that protest, who mm-hmm. are not, like, maybe the people involved are totally willing to take those risks, but that has not been okayed by everybody else involved in that space. You know what I mean? And another sort of a, the problem, another one of these problems here is um, like centering, sort of the problem of like centering, we kind of talked about a little bit about like sometimes these, these things will center the conversation and um, that is difficult. And then we, when we're fighting these narratives, I see sort of um well let's let's go back a second like i feel like a lot of these problems that we're having are not even actually about like morality or tactics Hmm. like if you talk about these violence and these things you know smashing windows and stuff i think a lot of people anarchists would be surprised at that how much people honestly don't even necessarily care if it's so if you read behind if you read if you read behind between the lines of an article that I read about the Mayday riots, riots, quote unquote, <laughs> there. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm hand quoting. Um, um, nobody actually cared about the corporate windows. No, yeah. But, like nobody actually cared. The only one that they cared about was when the small business got their windows smashed because that's actually an economic punishment on that business owner because those are expensive and like mm-hmm. that guy did not deserve to be punished in that way. So, but but the idea being that like nobody actually cared about the corporate stuff. And, like, people are pissed at capitalism right now. And, like, there's... I don't think that the problem here... So one of the main problems that's happening is not about the violence or the whatever. It's about bad process. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think oftentimes things just come down to process and process work and good process versus bad process. Like, good, co- collaborative, cooperative process gets good results. Bad process gets bad results. You know? And so... Um, if we're having good cooperative process within communities as a whole and everybody at the table, then you get good stuff going on. I was really, really impressed with the Black Block in Minneapolis. 
Mm. Oh, that was so cool. So, like, they came together with community and sort of, like, ran fascists out of the capital. And they, and they did it this interesting way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they, yeah, they, I mean, so, like, it was with uh, lots of different types of people and, like, a full range of people from their community, and it was, but they also were, you know, they were in full black block at the, at the, but they were there as part of community and not as a separate entity with, of, of community. And, like, one of the issues I've been having with the, with what happened in Portland on May Day is that there's been no accountability from black block about the part that they took in what happened and it's like I like I would love to see their account their actual account um, and it's sort of like I'm a, I, I have access as an anarchist the things that I follow I know more about what happened than mm-hmm. most people and I am I mostly agree with everything that they did and the fact that it was the cops who definitely escalated that situation and made it very very dangerous it was not black lock like, but however, we should know better than to pick fights with cops in, <laughs> around around people that are vulnerable, around the elderly, around children. You know what I mean? Like the the way that the cops reacted was way overblown, and there's no way for us to have known that it was going to be that bad that they were going to react like that. Like that that was insane, like insanely terrible. And like so, but the point being is that after that point, there was an opportunity to, in a cooperative, like open dialogue way for Black Bloc to have sort of maybe come out with a statement that says, look, this is what actually happened. We mm-hmm. worked co- we worked cooperatively. We were working cooperatively with the whole protest. They asked us to be at the back. We were at the back. Then the cops started compressing us into space. This is how I understand it from the, the things that I've seen. So if, um, if this is incorrect, like, please email us and let us know. Um, right now we're at staff at kepw.org. But they were getting... They were getting Right, and that the cops were really kind of like helping escalate this situation. Then there was some playful rock throwing. There's a hilarious photo of like a black block hand hand trying to hand a Pepsi, (laughs) you know, and like that's you know what I mean. Like okay, like what? Come on. But then these cops, you're you're like these are cops. These are lines of cops in full riot gear. Like you can't take a few stones and like you don't want to be offered Pepsi. Okay, like their reaction was insane to that, right? And so then, so, you know, this could said of that and then said, once the cops did what they did and became a super dangerous and created the super dangerous situation, Black Bloc was setting up barricades. Black Bloc was protecting people. Black Bloc was making sure that people who were vulnerable could get out of the situation that the cops had created. And, like, that is, that's great. Nobody knows that. The only, the only thing I've seen about that was an article written for It's Going Down, but the tone of the article was so defensive and hostile and wouldn't take any any like accountability for the fact that you know you, like you did pick a fight with authoritarian cops you know what i mean at a rally that was about not that you know what i mean in a different space and then even even if that's not true even if that's not fair the idea of like working cooperatively if you're getting if, if we're getting um, if we're getting criticism from the outside community like why not just like smooth that over and say like here's what happened um if anything we did compounded the situation that's not was not our intent and like on a personal level like i'm saying all these things and i'm i'm being so critical because this has directly affected my life yeah like and i feel like i have a real i have a right to bring up this to bring up this criticism because my life has gotten as an anarchist organizer like as trying to do community organizing, like it made my life harder. I'm having to expend more energy and time as emotional energy. I'm just trying to convince people that I'm safe, you know, that, you know, just trying to like break through the barrier of this bad PR. Um, so, you know, and it, so it literally makes my life harder and more dangerous and more frustrating. And, you know, like so I, I really want, and I want to be opening these dialogues, and I'm trying really hard right now to, like, come from, like, a loving, like, my, my own process. Like, we should always <laughs> yeah. be checking in with our own process, right? So, like, I want to be coming from, like, a loving, cooperative place, because I totally do understand. Like, I feel like if you don't want to light stuff on fire right now, maybe you're not paying attention <laughs> to, like, what's going on. Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, it's really hard to come into that space, like, in a loving manner with good process when... Um, 
the the feedback I get is so hostile. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, you know. You know, for me and I, and I I gave up for a long time using uh, using the identity anarchist for that reason. It was just like I can't I can't say this. Like it's cuz as soon as I say like I'm an anarchist, everyone just shuts down. You know, I can't talk about, hey, um, you know, let's go hang out. Because then other people say, well, I don't want to hang out with the, I don't want to hang out with these anarchists. You know, you, you know, folks are sort of middle of the road, and it's like it, it becomes a, a real hindrance to doing any kind of community organizing, and that's a problem. Yeah, it's that's a, really a problem. problem. That's the thing. That's because I understand we have something super important to bring to the table, really play. And right now, people are more open to it than ever before. They're like, oh, like we're devolving into fascism like what are these anti-fascists doing like, yeah yeah what does this mean out. what does this mean you know so like there's this opportunity here to really like reach out and like engage with the community and become sort of normalized which would be super helpful in sort of this like large-scale neighborhood organizing organizing that we're trying to do and um also as far as process goes um it's really important for us to be checking each other when we start seeing bad process because if we're not checking in with each other when we see bad process we are actually complicit in the problem hmm. so like i'm you know reading about working in cooperative groups and all these things like we were all raised in an authoritarian violent culture you know what i mean like that's what we know and like what anarchists are trying to do is get rid of authoritarianism in all forms and that includes within ourselves so like anarchist cooperative process is beautiful because it says like we're trying to make sure that all authoritarianism is not in this process we get all of it out but because we are all raised in this society it sneaks in and it sneaks into all of us in lots of different ways so this isn't just on black black or anarchists or whatever like this bad process and this like sneaking authoritarianism is everywhere right now mm-hmm. and like you know what i mean so like another way that it shows up in lots of different ways it can be not speaking up you know that can be a way of like bending to authority the silence also, of our friends right right so and then also it can be um trying to like sort of sometimes a lot of times working with liberals they'll come in and try and instill a hierarchy and put themselves at the top like that's an authoritarian way of trying to become do community process you know what i mean so it's like we were you know we we talked about this the other day when we were sort of preparing for the show um that, uh, you know, in some ways, um, on the one hand, like, yes, like, Black Bloc has played an important uh, tactical role in different contexts and responses to different situations. Um, but, uh, you know, this isn't like all Black Bloc is black. That's, like, not what we're saying. No, absolutely um, not. Absolutely not. But on the other hand, like, if, you know, if people think, look, we're, we're going to start something and we're going to show everyone else how to do it but we're not accountable to them i mean that sounds like anarchists trying to be like old school socialist vanguards you know like are you a vanguardist are you trying to tell the community what they're going to do are you going to say you're going to do this whether you like it or not like no like that's not acceptable well i mean i don't think it's it's necessarily that but there is this sort of false idea that they can be separated like in the situation that we're in now i don't think it's possible to separate you know, it's like, well, we do our thing, you do your thing, but it doesn't really work like that. Everything that all of us are doing are affecting each other right now. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, um, so that's, so I think this could be our strength, though, because authoritarians on the right, their process is to try and step on each other to gain more power and to get at the top of the system. And mm-hmm. they actually have infighting. And so one of the things that the left keeps saying is like, oh, we don't want to be infighting. We don't want to be infighting. And I heard that I, that was what the Democrats <laughs> ran on. Right. And <laughs> but I also, also, I hear that from anarchists. I, I hear, like, don't say anything bad about Black Bloc ever because it's, it causes division. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, that sounds the same to me. You know, and... But, but because we're not authoritarians, we're anti-authoritarians, I see us not as infighting. I see us as struggling with cooperative process. Mm. And like that difference in mindset makes all of the difference. But that means that we all do need to be continuously trying to keep, keep the focus of we're struggling with cooperative process. That means that we have to keep reminding ourselves and each other what cooperative process requires. And right now we're going from workshopping small cooperatives to a global movement. Like, anybody who's worked in a cooperative environment <laughs> can hear that's, like, that's a big ask. <laughs> like, some of these, so, like, 
anything so we're gonna we're gonna get through this and we're gonna survive this through process work like that's how I feel about it and at the end we're fighting for our lives you know we're fighting for our lives right now and what black bloc and anarchists in general are saying is like if you're fighting for your life you look at every tool in your toolbox sure you know what I mean like you look at every single tool in your toolbox and I'm saying I say agreed you have to start there like if we're starting the conversation like already that's a bad process to start the conversation already having mixed ideas you know what I mean and even if you come to an idea that is what you thought it was in the first place like even if we came to the idea like yes complete complete nonviolence all the time it's like it's if the process is bad the outcome's gonna be bad if people aren't on the table with you you know what I mean mm-hmm. and that's also like we have to I was, I was thinking today like I got this ministry that was we talk a lot about unification and unifying the left and keeping us from fracturing, but we already are in unity. You know, if we can hear what everybody is saying, we're already in unity because we all have the same goals. Like we all don't want authoritarianism. We all want to survive on this planet. Like we all want the human race to continue. We all want a future, you know? So, but what needs to happen is listening to what everybody else is saying. So one of the problems here is that anarchists and even like violent anarchists have something really important to say that is not being heard. And like we have to hear what they're saying. We have to hear that yes, it's worse than you th- than you're willing to admit right now. Authoritarianism is scary. Our world is violent. Like we have, you know what I mean. There is going to be physical confrontation. You know what I mean. There is going to be a certain type yeah. of, you know, and this and this already exists. You know, people don't want to hear that. But on the other hand, people don't want to hear that because it's being, <laughs> not being expressed well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you're coming to a conversation in a place of, like, total defensiveness and hostility, it doesn't matter if you're right. Nobody wants to hear it. I mean, and, you know, there there are some real differences in the communities, right? Like, there are tankies. There are people who, you know, like, justify <laughs> any kind of, like, Stalinist, crush the uh, other people, yeah, smashy yeah, smash, yeah. you know, all the face. Um, but also, you know, there are um, – I'm going to bring up two uh, – two sort of critiques, one of which is that, um, uh, and this is out of, um, this is out of Minnesota, um, there was, uh, there was a group of people got together and, and one person was saying, you know, um, like, look, if you're, um, if you're sort of like an insurrecto anarchist, like if you're like, I'm going to smash things and that's going to show people, you know, the, the great way that's where I'm going to find liberation in the streets, you know, and taking space is the only way to do it. Like, yes, like holding space and having like, uh, and having like roots in a neighborhood and knowing that like, this is in fact your space and you're like fundamentally tied to it. You have a relationship to place like that's important. But, um, then like just going and like picking fights and breaking things and like getting arrested and then being like, all right, now everyone jump on my GoFundMe, you know, and everyone is expected to just like show up and support you and like donate tons of money to your campaign and your legal costs. Well, good for you. Great. But now like, what about every other community organization that was doing things before you went out and got like smashy smashy and, um, you know, now like there's less money available in this community to do like a ton of other projects. Mm -hmm. You know, because, like, all the emotional energy, all the physical energy all the time, um, the the money and resources then are, is suddenly being spent all around you. Um, and that's, like, frankly, like, that's not constructive, you know? Well, I mean, actually, like, I saw Daniel McGowan speak, and he's an mm-hmm. amazing speaker. And um, I don't if you don't know who Daniel McGowan is, he's, he's like, a for sure, like, certified anarchist who's jailed. He was part of the Earth Liberation Front and was involved in the yeah, in a, yeah. a series of bombing campaigns. There's a great documentary on it, If a Tree Falls. And um, well, I so I saw him speak recently, and he said that he was really he wanted to go to Washington D.C., but he um, didn't want to burden the community with any legal costs that might happen if he specifically was jailed. And I thought that was really uh, a nice thing to say. And I also think that without with through all this, you know, say we are struggling with process, and anybody who's not an anarchist or even many anarchists who are listening know that this is a conversation this is an ongoing conversation with within the anarchist community mm-hmm. and that this is not something that like I just thought of and we're bringing up it's something that everybody is really discussing anarchists are very smart anarchists are very savvy and like um, I've been really impressed like even people I've met who are much more hardcore <laughs> than me who like are for like are very very um generally open to dialogue 
if I if it's if it's sort of the thing. So like it's it's um it's hard when I am dealing with sort of like hostility because I know that that a lot of anarchists really are trying to are are seeing these problems also and are trying to work on a way to within our community ourselves kind of collaborate come to this. But I don't want to see that conversation end up that the decision is to quell dissent and that the decision is if you don't like it, that's where you're not involved. You can't be involved. Or you're not a real anarchist. Or you're not a real anarchist, right? You know what I mean? So like that's kind of, because that's bad process. <laughs> you know, uh, and so like it feels, it kind of feel, I feel like a little bit of this like real like, uh, like unhappiness feeling when I'm told that like, like how dare you not um, appreciate us putting our, ourselves on the line for you. Mm-hmm. And that feels really <laughs> unhealthy to me. That's a really unhealthy dynamic, especially if it wasn't something I consented to. You know what I mean? Um, so that's it's just a difficult dynamic. But if we continue again, like I just really think that the key here is good process, and that everybody does have something to bring to the table. And the other thing about like if nobody wants to hear you because you're being loud, um, and like making it difficult for other people to do what they're doing on the other hand everybody else like sort of like on the non-violent side too sometimes that person in the room that's being really loud and really obnoxious and you don't want to deal with they're not being heard so what other recourse do they have other than becoming louder you know what i mean so it's like even if they're hard to hear so it goes on it's both sides it's both sides needs to fix process like we have to be hearing what it is that they're trying to say Yeah, and and I wanted to bring up uh, like a second critique, and this one is from New York. Um, This is uh, a couple years ago. There's there was a major uh, protest and riot, and I think this was maybe tied to Occupy. I'm not. I don't remember exactly, but um, the the idea was that here are all these people that are like working in these you know otherwise awful. Uh, you know, multinational corporations, you know, your McDonald's, your Walmarts, your your Targets and everything else. And um, here come these protesters and smashing windows. And these are people who are broke. You know, these are poor people in living in poor communities who, like, can barely make it. And, you know, you're showing up and, like, trashing their workplaces, you know. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's not the fact that, like, that the place is being destroyed, but it's, like, you're also, like, attacking the work of these, like, people who are here. Um, and the specific argument critique was saying, like, look, a lot of people live in, like, places where um, the, like, the extraordinary violence that's happening with um, with regard to, um, in particular, like, shootings and things. Um, one person was telling the story that, uh, protesters came up and, and went to go smash a window and the like the crashing and the hitting of it just like sent multiple of their coworkers working in a working in a Starbucks like scattering to the floor and terrified for their lives not because they were afraid of protesters not because like they couldn't have class solidarity or something but no because like this is really scary because here's an attack on your work like you're as a protester like attacking this institution this corporation and like that's legit but like um then you turn around and like there are people in there, you know, that are having that are dealing with the consequences of what you're saying. And I don't care about like oh, this management is stressed because of whatever some window. Like that doesn't bother me. But like there, are, like there are people, you know, who are part of your communities, right. you know, um, who are harmed by these actions. And like, you know, we we got to think about that too. You know, like there's 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 real harm to, you know, to our people, to our side, you know, that comes out of this as well. Um, in addition to, like, the big, like, meta conversation about, like, can we can we talk about anarchism? Is this, like, is this a defensible conversation? Um, are, we, are we really spreading, like, the message of anarchism um, about, a, you know, another world that's possible and um, sort of prefigurative notions? Um, you know, is that really what's coming out of this? Not that, like, people can't protest. Like, there are lots of places and context, you know, where someone has just been killed or just, uh, you know, been murdered by police, and, like, you, you just got to respond, you know, and that's, that's, that's catharsis, and that's important. Um, but we can't have the response to everything that happens in our society be just, like, riots. And, like, yes, like, Mayday has a particular history, and, um, you know, the, the 
origins of Mayday in the United States in Chicago and like rounding up and murdering anarchists. Um, like there's extraordinary violence on the part of the state in there. Um, but it's also um, it's also a, a day of immigrants' rights. It's also a day of labor rights. It's also a day um, of uh, you know of like changing of seasons. There's a there's there's so much tied up in that. Like I really love the idea of May Day. There's like so much like fantastic history and like intersectional things going on there. Um, but also like it doesn't belong only to anarchists. And then the a lot of times people, you know, there's conversations about, like, well, here's where it worked, here's where it worked, here's where let's talk about, like, the riots in Greece when um, that very young anarchist was shot, and, or, you know, let's talk about Haiti, let's talk about these things, it's like, if you look, I feel like if you really dug in, the difference there would not be tactics, necessarily, it'd be process, it's that everybody in those communities was on the same page mm. about how they were doing something. You know what I mean? Like that, what that, like the whole community came together. So in the end, if we're sort of like saying, well, these, this violent act is okay because of Haiti, it's like, that's not, that's disingenuous to say, like, well, violence works sometimes, so therefore violence works here. It's like, it's, it's a context and the way that those decisions were come to are very, very important. And the other, so we're talking about like the fear created in the community is that authoritarian regimes thrive on fear. They, they love fear. They want fear to be happening because that keeps people indoors. That keeps, that keeps people from wanting to participate. That keeps people from rising up against them. And it justifies funding the authoritarian state. Right. And so, like, the, the, so, like if we're doing everything that we do, um, the, I heard from one beautiful anarchist that um, the cornerstones of the revolution are self-defense and self-liberation. And causing fear... Even if it's a personal self-liberation of being able to empower yourself by breaking a capitalist, helping break the capitalist state by throwing a brick through a window, what the implications of like the self-liberation abilities of the community at large, creating an atmosphere of fear, you know, so like what is the balance there of like personal responsibility of like, you know, sort of like individualist anarchism of like having, making sure that you like have are liberated and empowered versus sort of whether or not that's helping the community at large become empowered enough to rise up altogether. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like that's, you know, so fear is a fear is really, really dangerous. We need the opposite of fear. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, kind of coming back to the sort of intersectional feminism and coming back to the idea that this is mother's day, um, and why that's still so important to like always be always concentrating on, intersectional feminism and everything we do is like a basic revolutionary value that we're working from I would love to see like I'm worried about sort of this twisted gender gendered dynamic where you end up with our society being so messed up you've got like women seen as weak and having no strength and then you've also got this like toxic masculinity mm-hmm. You know, so like the way that we're going to, part of the way we're going to fix this is making sure that we're fixing our, our sort of like dynamics on that front. Because I do see a real toxic masculinity element, especially when you look at the semantics of the situation, when you're talking about like the metaphors we're using are war and like sometimes it's like glorification of pain, like glorification of murder even, and like this sort of like just real like hatred and all these things like really feels like a toxic masculinity to me and then on the other side you've got this like like sort of like repression and like devaluation of feminine power and like so so the I saw uh, uh, what changed my life I saw Valerie Cower as an amazing woman uh, lawyer and activist in New York she's uh, sick and she gave a um, she gave a speech on New Year's Day, I posted it on our Facebook page, Friendly Anarchism. I pinned it to the top because it changed my life, where she's speaking about um, that maybe this darkness isn't the darkness of the tomb, but the darkness of the womb, and that we're laboring to bring in a new society. And like, wh- how we do that is we breathe and we push, and we breathe and we push. And that if we don't push, we die. You know, that labor is an act of focused love and strength, you know, is this, like, and that instead of sort of focusing on war and destruction, it's this, like, and labor is painful, labor is hard, labor is long, and it's also violent in its own right. 
you know it's also bloody it's also dangerous you know what i mean but then just it makes all the difference to sort of embrace this language and this like understanding of this as sort of like a real like stopping devaluing women and stopping making sure that toxic mas toxic masculinity is not injecting itself into our into our birthing room you know and like that's how we'll do it you know if we can all just like focus in on like the steely strength of love and creation and instead of destruction you know and sort of like in this binary that we have of violence nonviolence that is like a damaging binary because you know so like we have to break through those we have to break through those but th th sometimes that takes a new language mm -hmm. so like the semantics of violence versus nonviolence is no longer helpful to us and sort of all of that nuance and that's another thing that intersectional feminism and intersectional feminists are wonderful at is understanding nuance because they have if you talk to a black trans woman like their understanding of identity and the way of moving through the world and like sort of juggling all these different types of oppression uh, gives a real depth of like nuance that we really need in this conversation you know what I mean and you know also like if, when thinking about like violence like there's just there's so many things going on like when they think about like the the greek phrases for like there's five different greek meanings of love um different like different phrases that all like would translate in english into into just like the word love but um but have fundamentally different meanings you know when we think about violence um there's just like all different kinds we were sort of alluding to this earlier that there's there's direct violence that's sort of like you know if you punch someone but there's also indirect violence harassment microaggressions um uh, threats and intimidation um, and then there's these sort of like larger uh, institutional things institutional violence structural violence um, but there's also like passive violence the things that happen by non-action like yeah. right? like mm -hmm. how many states neglect communities right like the federal government not taking action on flint means that people are going to be sick like that's a kind of violence they're not doing something to make someone sick they already did something and now by not acting people are going to be sick right so then sort of this like peaceful non-violence is non-action is complicit in continuing structural violence and mm -hmm. is and is incredibly dangerous to all of those communities that are dealing that are being murdered and abused on a daily basis because of inaction you know what i mean so like that yeah that's a great point um and i think it's important that like individuals like violence can be carried out either by individuals um or through community organizations, through cities, through economic corporations, through national governments. Um, and the, the potential to cause harm isn't limited to, like, just one of these organizations. Like, there's so many different, like, sources of, of potential harm in our lives um, that that's sort of, like, the big picture here is, like, I think when, like, talking about the, the riots and, and anarchism and black bloc, it's like there, like, there are big things that are happening um, and, you know, and it's not like you can just, uh, you know, just remove the state or just remove corporations. Like you can have, you could in theory have a corporationless, uh, state that is still extremely violent or a stateless society, which has corporations, which is violent, right? When we think of like the wild west or, uh, corporate dam uh, domination in the Amazon, um, or we think of like mobs, like stateless violence, um, through economic means and, you know, but also like wherever the state is not present, um, oftentimes there are militaries or um, uh, or paramilitaries or um, like hired police forces or gun thugs. Um, you know, which which are somewhat analogous to our police, right? Like here, the state just like hires people to do the same jobs of like enforcing um, uh, economic and like social status quo will. Yeah. So I mean, the idea here is that overall. This is a difficult, complicated subject. We're dealing with a very difficult, complicated world, you know? Like, and the way that we're going to get through this as a movement together, everybody, because now we're in this together, whether we like it or not, everything that all of us do affects everybody else. All, everything we do and everything we don't do affects everybody else, right? So, but we can do it. Like, I really feel like our strength is in an understanding of anarchic cooperative process, and we're learning that, and I see lots and lots 
of good things happening within that, within our own anarchist community and within communities before. And I see like, like this beautiful interfacing happening between anarchists and other communities. And um, it's very exciting and I'm very excited to be a part of it. And I think that we really, really do have a shot at bringing it. This is our moment. We really can. Another world really is possible and mm -hmm. we're, we're getting there. If we just keep these open dialogues with each other, keep coming at these conversations from a place of love and desire to understand and desire to work together in a cooperative way, that we're gonna, we'll be fine. And I think that's something that both Quakers and anarchists share is, a, is, you know, both can envision a better world where the draconian repression that we see through the state and through economic institutions is both unnecessary and the better methods of governing our society are possible. Like that's available to us. Um, and that there, you know, despite these like big things that are happening um, in the world, that you know the sort of structural and institutional violence, um, you know, I think it's it's worth asking ourselves what are we doing to get there? What are the what are our ways of arriving at the goals that we want? Um, and there may be places for violence. There may be necessary places, um, but there it's also important for us to ask how are we getting there and what does this world look like? Yeah, the intention, the intention behind something, the process behind something, the intention behind something is everything. You know, that's really, it's great. And I think, uh, I think we're going to be okay. And it's four o'clock. <laughs> so, hey, oh, there's an there hour. There we go. <laughs> we did it. We talked for an hour. We've really enjoyed talking with you. Uh, well, I guess we're talking with each other at you. Okay? <laughs> but, um, hopefully opening these dialogues between us and everybody. And uh, please, you can come uh, like our Facebook page at Friendly Anarchism. We also have a Twitter that's at Friend Anarchism. You can email us. We'd love to hear from you at friendlyanarchism at protonmail.com. That is an encrypted email, so just in case that's something that you care about. And um, thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to KEPW LPFM 97.3, uh, Eugene Homegrown Radio. Thank you so much again for joining us. This is Friendly Anarchism.